0: This is Jim Binden for Speaking of Race. Today, we have a conversation with Dr. Martina Thomas, a postdoctoral fellow in anthropology at Juniata College. So, my name is Tina Thomas. I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow at um, of anthropology at uh, Juniata College, which is located in Huntingdon, Pennsylvania. Um, I took an interest in this... Um, This topic of race, really, because I am a woman of color, so I'm of Puerto Rican descent. Um, I was born in Brooklyn, uh, New York, and I lived there for um, the first 12 years of my life, and then I moved to Puerto Rico for a couple of years, and then a few other places after that. And so, um, I guess you can say that... um, while i could never really articulate anything in relation to race i always felt all of the dynamics of race that i can articulate today so for example um knowing that i was inferior um knowing that there were just going to be certain things probably that will occur in my life because i lived in poverty so um, i had one exchange with a family member that you know, basically stated, well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you were pregnant, you know, at 13. And so, you know, just having these uh, feelings of, right, inferiority and having these stereotypes placed upon me, but also believing these stereotypes, right? So, Um, I lived in Section 8 housing in uh, Park Slope, New York, right? And so people think of Park Slope today, and it's really interesting because it's so gentrified at the moment. But there were pockets of Park Slope where um, it was very poor uh, living conditions. And so we lived in what was, you know, back in the day, known as these tenement buildings. And so... um, It was really interesting because I remember these stereotypes about Puerto Ricans and Dominicans being thieves and, you know, just not being really good people. And so I just had really uh, poor um, beliefs about what Puerto Ricans were. I oftentimes would think, you know, like, why didn't I grow up to be somewhere else, something else, you know, some other ethnicity? So that thought went across my mind quite a bit. I can I used to be able to see the Twin Towers, from my apartment, and just kind of, like, feeling this um, disconnect between the rich people over there versus the poor people over here. Not only the poor people, but the poor people of color, right? And so, there was definitely a disconnect growing up in, you know, a city, and I grew up in the 80s, so in a time where um, I definitely felt... It was palpable, the the low self-esteem I had, plus personal experiences that, you know, I just experienced in my own family in terms of, like, my mother being an alcoholic, for example, because day in, day out, the life of being a Puerto Rican woman who just could not make it in that type of system was very difficult for her, so... Um, I ended up moving to Puerto Rico because my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease when I was 10, and she could no longer take care of me. So I ended up in Puerto Rico because my sister, she was newly widowed, and so um, she decided to take me in, Um, and thank goodness for that, because when I went back to Brooklyn and I saw people just kind of falling by the wayside and just not doing great things with their life... I always say that the reason why I'm in the position that I am today was because my sister married a man who knew what a life insurance policy was, because when he passed away, um, it gave her the opportunity to move to Puerto Rico to buy a house. And so it felt like a rags to riches story, if you will, in the sense of I moved to Puerto Rico not far from where my mom was born, actually, and um, lived in this gorgeous, gorgeous house, had my own room for the first time. I had shared a room with my mom and my brother prior to this time. And so it was just kind of an interesting transition. And not only was it from the sense of, um, you know, the material items, but also I just saw very successful Puerto Ricans, and that was a turning point for me. I think, in the sense of like, wow, you know, there's there are actually people who are just extremely successful, extremely educated, and so yeah, that's kind of where my story begins. And um, it's it's there was a lot of complicated feelings surrounding this massive change that happened into my life because I did have certain privilege in the sense of um, the, the, the economic privilege that came with my sister kind of having this windfall in her life. And so I ended up living with her until the age of 18. Um, and then I moved around for quite a bit. Um, I was a little shiftless in terms of kind of like I still really had low self-esteem. Um, I still really felt like I didn't know my place in the world for other reasons related to religion, actually. Um, and then I ended up joining the military. And the military was a really interesting experience in the sense that... Yes, I met- isn't it? <laughs> well, I, just, I met people in the military who had never met a person of color before. Yep. And... That was a whole new world to me in the sense of trying to figure out um, right, how to interact with folks that just don't have a clue about what it is to walk in the world as somebody who is not valued in the world most times. Yeah. So those were really interesting interactions and experiences um, that I think really taught me a lot about the thoughtfulness that goes behind how race is considered, right? Yeah. And for many people in the Army who come from Midwestern states, I would say – Um, They really never even had to think about it until they entered the military, which I think is phenomenal privilege. Um, And so then um, I took a class in grad school. So it's interesting, right? Because I think there are some individuals who have grown up with the experience of having Educated family members, even though they're working class, right? Yeah. Um, but then they go into college and they become sociologists or even anthropologists. So they go into some social science. Um, that wasn't my experience because I was a first generation college student, right? So I had no guidance in relation to any of this. Yeah. So I end up getting a biology degree, um, and I, I really think. You know, that there were certain things ordered in a way that I just could not have anticipated how I ended up in grad school, for example. So through the the McNair program and through having a phenomenal mentor by the name of Casey Bassett, um, who changed my life in the sense of being able to see my potential. It was it was just a turning point for me because I was really happy to just be in college and getting a bachelor's degree. I first got an associate's degree and thought, um, yeah. I can do the bachelor's, you know, and, you know, I have GI money and the GI bill money. And so let me just, you know, take my time and do that. And so um, I would say that really the mentorship that I received at the University of Montevallo in uh, Montevallo, Alabama, it really kind of catapulted me in this ability to pursue higher education in a way that I hadn't thought possible prior to meeting these folks. And so I initially went to grad school um, at a college in Florida, which I won't mention, but it was not the greatest experience. But one thing that I did there that I think really made me question this idea of race. So I took a class in Africana studies. Don't ask me why I don't remember. I can't even tell you. Um, But it was an online course. And it was by a Jewish man who um, teaches Africana studies there. And I can't remember his name. But um, it was really an interesting look at what do I believe about race. And this is when these, you know, subconscious thinking really became conscious reflection about my position and my my framing of not only myself but of others. And I remember this essay that I created or that that I wrote for that class. And I I I was talking about my experience in, in undergrad, and I had two really good friends. One of them was white, and one of them was black, and how I how I believed about my intelligence in relation to these two individuals. And it really made me think about how ingrained race really is, where it's so mundane and we don't think about it and we don't articulate it. And it really got me to think, you know, This is something that really I need to think more about because um, and during this time, it was interesting. I had emailed my brother this, what I thought at the time was a very funny email about things that Puerto Ricans say and do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So like one of them was, uh, you know, you're Puerto Rican if you get in trouble you get in trouble and your mother throws the chankla which is like the the term for like a flip-flop oh, at your head yeah. or something like that you know and he was deeply offended by this email and i'll never forget it because he told me you know you are just really perpetuating stereotypes uh-huh. and it just really hurt me because i mean i knew he was right but i felt very defensive about it and so um Right. Those those things, they're they're not jokes anymore. Um, But so then, you know, I ended up um, rethinking graduate school in a in a in a large way because I was not fulfilled in the program that I was, which was, um, you know, biomedical sciences, pharmacology. And so I started rethinking it, and this is when you come into the picture, because this is when I met you at a McNair event for the <laughs> University of Alabama. And um, I really rethought and revisited some of the classes that I had taken in the past during undergrad, and one of them that I really loved was cultural anthropology. And so when I found out about medical anthropology, I was very intrigued, because sadly, um, my family personally has very poor health outcomes Um to the point where one day I was at my physician's office. This was years ago, maybe 2000 or so. And I had a new physician and you know how they do the health history forms. Yeah. And so here I am checking all boxes, you know, like, oh, grandmother has this, mother has this, you know, and so... The doctor sits here and she says, Wow, your family didn't do you any favors, did they? And it was one of those moments where I think I was shocked that she said it, and she was shocked that she said it. And she was very apologetic afterwards. And so then I, and you know, so all of these things are kind of really intersecting in terms of, okay, you have an interest in race. Medical anthropology, so you can really think about health outcomes as you know a, a variable to what, what people are experiencing in their daily lives when it comes to being, you know, part of a marginalized group. And it was just a fantastic, I think, um, alignment of many of the things that I had been thinking about prior to that. Um, So, but what I didn't understand, I think, until grad school was the vocabulary, you know, how did we get to this point in relation to what we know about race? How is it so pervasive in terms of the way that we think yet and still it feels like it does not exist, right? Yeah. Um, And so I really think that taking your class or, you know, auditing the class in terms of, you know, anthropology of race, it really helped me to understand the historical pathway of this established, um, right, uh, ethereal, ambiguous um, existence of this cultural phenomenon, right? Yeah happens on a daily basis, yet we don't even understand it, know it, n- know how to talk about it many times, and so it really helped in that way, and then when I was taking classes in gender and race studies with the likes of um, phenomenal minds like Brittany Cooper and uh, Jennifer Schoff, who's another anthropologist. Yeah. Those experiences, I really think, gave me the vocabulary to understand this is what's been going on with you all along. So for me, this is not only a professional endeavor, but it is also very personal, something that I'm completely passionate about that I think of, think through, live, right, on a daily basis in terms of how do we how do we address inequity in society and how do we Cope with the histor the historical um, relevance or even inaccuracies, right, of the narratives of certain people and places and times, and so think through those things quite a bit. Um, and it's almost an obsession in a sense because of my trajectory in life and how I don't want my children I guess feeling anything that I felt in my own childhood and adolescence. So I think that would be and of course your research draws these same points together. You know, I mean the everything that you've done in in your in your different research projects are just pointing at this race, you know, it's like it's a big, you know, spotlight out there that's that's driving things absolutely um i get i get questioned a lot about what why why am i interested in in talking to african american women african american youth particularly females and i think it's because their experiences speak to my experiences right not necessarily who i am in this current moment but So much of what has shaped me has been certain things that they are currently going through. And I think it's really important for me to stay grounded in that because one thing that I can honestly say is how important it is to bring diversity into academia, not only in the way that my skin color does when I walk into a room, but also in having these, um, moments where I can share my lived experience and knowing that it's not going to be a unique, uh, story for, or that it will be a unique story for some people who have led a more privileged existence. Right. I'm not saying that these stories don't exist in academia whatsoever, but what I am saying is that we need to hear more of this because coming from the perspective of what I'm doing now in terms of a career. So I'm at Juniata college and um, we have a mix of socioeconomic status in terms of the demographics of our students. Right. So I oftentimes wonder, you know, what are their stories when it comes to their personal experiences? And because this is a private small liberal arts school, do they feel freedom in, um, in sharing those stories, right? Or do they feel the need to perhaps live up to the status quo? And so for me personally, being an academic, I do, um, I push back against that in terms of who I am in the classroom and who I am with my students, because I want them to understand that transparency, um, is so important when it comes to getting to know who I am as a professor, but who they are as students. Yes, and who they are as people, exactly. Right.